I'm Elena Lansberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move, the podcast that kicks old stereotypes to the curb. Come meet these creative, outrageous, authentic, adventurous, irreverent, and powerful disruptors and influencers. Grandmothers, from the living room to the courtroom, making powerful contributions in every walk of life. We know them most intimately as loving caregivers, the older women in our lives with a thousand stories about their grandchildren and pictures in their purses. In this podcast, you'll come to know even more about our grandmothers. They are galvanized, determined, and are guaranteed to get you thinking. What drives them? What are they up to? What is the potential of grandmother power, and how is it changing the world? Grandmothers are on the move. You don't want to be left behind. Hi, it's Elena. Welcome back to Grandmothers on the Move. And today I'm speaking to Claudette London, who is a grandmother of two teenage girls and who lives in Toronto and originally from Guyana and retired from a position as a manager in co-op housing and has, as she says, thoroughly enjoyed exploring other aspects of life since then. And I loved how you put your sole purpose right now, Claudette, which is to live a happy, healthy life by taking control of your emotional, physical and spiritual spiritual health. I absolutely love that. It's a great place to start. I welcome you to Grandmothers on the Move. Okay, thank you for having me, Elena. You had mentioned that you've been volunteering quite a bit and that you're still the chair of the finance committee in the housing co-op where you live. Tell me a little bit about the volunteer work that you've been doing over the last few years. Well, since I've moved to Toronto, I've been doing lots of volunteering. I volunteered once with the YWCA, delivering meals on wheels in the eastern part of Toronto. I found that was quite an eye-opening experience for me, right? And I thought, well, let me see what other areas of volunteering there is available. And as I raised my son, I was a single mother. I had lots of time afterwards because he was quite a disciplined child. He knew what he was about. So I had lots of free time. And the next organization I volunteered in was the John Brooks Community Foundation and Scholarship Fund, where throughout the year we would raise funds for assisting students who graduated from university, assist them with little scholarships so they can have enough money to have tuition or even transportation, whatever they needed. And I did that for about 20 years until the foundation folded. And we had to hand over the funds to another um, foundation to carry that on. That was when I retired. And I spent a few years in Atlanta with my son and his family. And then when I returned to Toronto here, because of my granddaughter's condition, I thought, what can I do that will help me cope with it, give me an understanding of what it's all about? Because it was quite frightening, as you can imagine, for all of us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I did some investigations and I found out about the Holland View Children's Foundation, where they take care of lots of young children under 18 who have various types of disabilities. Mm -hmm. And that is where I learned a lot. And I was quite empathetic with what the parents were going through and what my son and his wife would have to go through with that little girl also. I did that for a few years. I learned so much about the different types of disabilities. I was able to meet one-on-one with the parents because I was the one that made them comfortable before their interviews. And that was quite sobering for me. I think that experience made a lot of difference to my life. But after a while, I thought I can do other things. So I started out at Sprint, which is the senior people's 
resources in North Toronto. I worked with seniors there. I worked on the committee for elder abuse. There's a little booklet you have out there right now circulating in Toronto anyway. I was a part of that in Sprint. I would take some seniors out for little outings around the city and exercise classes. I assisted the staff in various capacities with that. Then I was also involved with Central Eglinton Community Centre, where I was the tax clinic receptionist because they do a free tax clinic there every year from February to April. So I would answer the phone calls and set up the appointments and made the people comfortable while they waited for their appointment. Then I was also on my church board. I was a very active member of my church and I was the treasurer on that board for about three years. Then I finally changed that and I went into the choir. Now that was hilarious. I was the oldest person in the choir. All the young ones were there. I was the little gray-haired one there, but I had such a blast with those young people. <laughs> it was fantastic. so refreshing. <laughs> you know, choir practice on Tuesdays was the highlight of my week. <laughs> you know? Wow. Were you a singer? Did you sing in your, your life? No, before? I didn't have to audition or anything. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but we just somehow the voices blended. Wow. I don't know how, but you know. I did do a lot of singing in high school in Guyana and in my early years. So, you know, it was just like getting back to something that I loved. Right? Beautiful. And then, well, coronavirus came. <laughs> so right. There's no right now. <laughs> to enforce rest. They call it volunteering, but these are full-time jobs. Claudette. Yes, it could be a full-time job. And there's always a lot of responsibility. And sometimes you had to work with other volunteers, right? So you had to have certain communication skills and, you know, you had to deal with lots of different temperaments. You know? No kidding. <laughs> but that was, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the interaction, especially after my son moved away from home. So I had lots of time on my hand. I'm going to ask you a question about each of these things because it's really... Okay. This is an incredible array of community involvement and lifting up of people. This is really something. I mean, first of all, you said something interesting. You said that the work with the Y in the early years, Meals of Wheels, that that was eye-opening. What was eye-opening about it? The poverty in the city. Mm. Because I found out that sometimes when I went to deliver the meals at lunchtime, that would be, I would take my lunchtime on Tuesdays and Thursdays and spend that time to deliver meals in that region park area. And that's where I was exposed to a lot of things. And there was a particular gentleman I can remember who would say, oh, you're here again. Thank you for bringing, you know, my lunch, you know. I didn't see anybody at all this week. And that used to bother me, you know, to think that we lived in Toronto, a big city like this, and there was somebody living there. And the only person he saw every week with somebody delivering the meals on wheels, yeah. you know, yeah. and it, it just opened my eyes to what other types of life was around me, you know, because in Guyana, I was not exposed to that. From the, I mean, you really have sort of spanned the gamut of the human condition. And I guess now during the coronavirus, when there's been a shutdown and a lot of separation of people, I wonder if it's given you some time to to reflect on I'm thinking now how much of a hardship this coronavirus is for some people. Mm -hmm. You know, 
especially when it comes to seniors, they're already shut in. There are lots of seniors right. who can't go out. And then now they can't even have anybody come in. That's the hurtful part, I find. Right. I'm doing fairly well with it because I can still go out. I go out and I do my walks and everything. But I always think of the elderly people who cannot get out. Yeah, and I think there are a lot of people who have relied on the kind of support that you have devoted a lot of your life to providing to all of this work. And all of those people who have needed that support, they really are in a position now where they can't avail themselves of that support. You know, even though there's still lots of community support going on in all sorts yeah. of in good and powerful ways. It seems to me you're in a special position because you have pursued an understanding and empathy and a direct kind of engagement with all sorts of people who really do need special and thoughtful, meaningful support in our communities. And now you must carry some of them with you in some ways. Yes, I certainly do. Yeah. You were talking about the pamphlet that's circulating that you've been a part of with elder abuse that's something that we don't talk about a lot. I wonder if you can tell me sort of what you've learned, what you know, what you think we should be thinking about and doing much more seriously. Well, there are lots of resources out there, but because it's such a technical subject, when you're involving people and their family members, it's difficult to really to do more than I think is being done. Quite a lot is being done because there are numbers they can call and there's a lot of education also taking place out there because it's such a delicate matter. A lot of people do not access it, yeah. right? And if, if they're in a position where they're dependent on the children, they hesitate to reach out because perhaps from fear that, well, if the child finds out that, well, I've reported anything or I'm saying I'm uncomfortable, you know, that will, like, they will become ostracized and they're afraid of going through that at, at, at the older age. I think perhaps sometimes the children themselves will need to be educated because when it comes to a case of, let's say, the parent is suffering from the early signs of dementia, children have to be able, or whoever the caregiver is, needs to be able to realize this family member is not the same anymore. And whatever the behavior might be, it's not that they're willfully behaving that way. It's the disease that's causing them to behave like that. Because I can't blame the relatives sometimes because they too have their own stressful lives to take care of. Right. And they don't have the patience to deal with a family member that needs their help. It's a very delicate position. When I look at all the different things that you've done, and I'm sure this isn't everything, I'm sure there are other things that you've been involved in volunteer-wise and otherwise in your life, supporting people and being there for them. It seems to me that you did actually educate yourself. It's a really exceptional engagement with all ages, all kinds of different issues, different kinds of communities that you're coming in touch with, different contexts, some's housing, some is around disability, some is around clinic or hospital environment. Why do you think that is, Claudette? I mean, not everyone does that. I think it came from my dad in Guyana. He was a community organizer. And I was involved with many things with him. I did lots of little things for him. You know, I think he wanted to keep me busy. So I was always by his side and I always knew what was going on in the community. And I guess it just carried forward. And as I said previously, when I was faced with my granddaughter's birth, that 
made quite a difference in my life because we go about life every day, you know, and everything is hunky-dory. And until I was put in that position to have my grandchild and see other people dealing with children with the same types of disabilities and even different ones, then you have to stop and you know, you change. Something about you will change. Your whole perspective on life will change. Yeah. That's what happened to me. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, know? no, it makes sense. I mean, I've I've spoken to a lot of grandmothers and I'm always interested in what they have to teach us about and explain to us because I'm not there yet. Because <laughs> <laughs> I see such a difference between the relationship that grandmothers have with their grandchildren and that we have with our children as mothers. Yes, it is different. Because when you're a mother, you're upfront with the responsibilities, right? And so you're there, stressed out, trying to make sure you do the best for this child. Yeah. But when you get the grandchild, then you can relax. You can sit back and watch them develop from day to day, watch all the little tricks. And, you know, you're able to enjoy grandchildren. Whilst with children, because of the responsibility and the stage of life that you're at at that time, it doesn't turn out to be the same. The grandchildren are fun because, you know, you can always send them back to their parents. It's not your primary responsibility. (laughs) (laughs) So you get all the fun times with the grandkids while the parents are stressed out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've earned it. (laughs) I guess it's a really humbling and sobering thing to think about when you do have a grandchild who has real challenges and deep challenges for your adult child. And it seems to me when I look at the things that you've done, is it right to say that you've been able to put on the lens of what people are going through and be very empathetic and sympathetic, but also be helpful to them because you don't get pulled under by it? Is that right? Yeah, you're kind of right. (laughs) No, you're right. I make myself available anytime my son would need me. They don't live here in Toronto. That's the other thing. They mm-hmm. live in South Carolina. So for them to have a holiday, somebody has to be at home, right? Mm-hmm. And I would go and spend two or three weeks, take care of the one with the disabilities, because sometimes she can't travel with them. Or sometimes I just have to be there for both of them so that the parents can have a break because, mm-hmm. you know, they have the day-to-day stress. Even though they have nurses coming in to take care of her during the day, they're alone with her at night. So for them to go away, somebody has to be there. And I would go and spend the time to do that. I've done that on a yearly basis. And I take that opportunity when they return, then we have like a family vacation. Beautiful. Right? You make it sound so easy and obvious, but it's a strength too. I mean, in your own family, but even too, when you're talking to parents at Holland View, when you're working with elders who are experiencing abuse, when you're visiting the people who need Meals on Wheels and are relying on that human contact and kindness and also the food itself. I can imagine that it would be very enriching in life to be engaged with people in that way. And I also imagine that as much as it seems to come naturally to you, it also takes a certain strength to constantly be engaging in really difficult circumstances with people and being there with them. Yes, it is difficult, but I think it got better for me through the years. I think working as the co-op housing manager, you were faced every day with everybody's problems, 
right, who would come into the office with you with whatever is going on in their lives. And you have to treat them carefully. You have to understand each person's situation. So I think that's probably where the balance came from. Because, you know, in a housing cooperative, there are all kinds of people living in there, all kinds of different walks of life, different races, different backgrounds, different financial situations. And you have to be careful in the way you treat them. And I think that's probably why I'm able to go out and, you know, offer my services now to other people who are in need based on what the situation is. And I can just adapt to whatever that situation is. That's a pretty amazing skill set. It makes you a really indispensable person. <laughs> we, <laughs> I'm uh, not indispensable. You know, as we, I told you earlier, I have kind of scaled back. Sure. I've done that, you know, because it can be emotionally draining sometimes. And because of the responsibility to it, you know, it's not a job per se, but then you have to be consistent with your time and it becomes a heavy commitment, right? Yeah. But then in the end also, sometimes you get home and you figure, well, well, I'm glad I was able to help me so-and-so today. And that's comforting. And especially now we're living in hard times and you have family in the U.S. How are you feeling about all of what's unfolding now? Sometimes I'm scared. I'm scared for them. I worry about them, especially since the borders are closed, so they can't come if anything happens to me and I can't go. Right, right. <laughs> anything happens. That's, that's, that's my main worry. But I knew a lot of the history of the U.S., so what's going on there does not surprise me. At some point in time, I knew it was going to happen because it happened before. The only thing about that that bothers me is that, well, I didn't expect it to happen in my time. <laughs> I thought they would have solved all these racial tensions long time ago, but unfortunately it didn't happen that way. But I'm hopeful that things are going to change now. What's going on now is way too worldwide exposed. Mm -hmm. So something will come out of this. I'm hopeful for that, especially for my grandchildren. But you have to have hope. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You have to have hope that they will that it will change. When you see these demonstrations and all of the work that young people are doing in Black Lives Matter, how do you feel about that in the context of everything that you've lived through? Well, I think they have to do what they have to do, what they feel they have to do, because I look at it as if, well, this is their time, this is their world, they're on the move now. They have the children to bring up. They have the jobs and everything to look forward to. So if they feel they have to make their voices heard, so be it. This demonstration now is different. And that's why I think things will change. I have to believe after all this, things will change. <laughs> I wonder, you know, when you think about the young people that you were with in the choir, and I'm sure you have young people in your life who still look to you. Oh, yeah. Lots of nieces and nephews. Yesterday, I was on a Zoom conversation with some nieces and great nieces in London. And I asked them, why is it all this demonstration going on now? Why are they involved? Oh, and it was quite an interesting topic that we were discussing as they discussed their views and how everybody felt and all of that. You know, and I think it's their world. 
they have to inherit whatever mess we leave for them. And I think that's why they're rebelling too, because they don't want to have to deal with this nonsense. Lots of them, I find, are biracial, including my grandchildren. Mm -hmm. So they feel differently than their parents would feel. And they need to make the change because they have been waiting and no changes have occurred. This is why now they're frustrated and they figure they have to do it and they're serious about it. The change will come about, like all other revolutions. So true. I was just trying to check to see within my family circles how they felt. Mm. You know, they voice the same opinion other young people are seeing on the TV. This is how the youth feel about it. What do you say to the young people? I just tell them, do what you have to do. Be safe and be sure that you know what you're about. Be sensible. March if you have to march and get back home. Know when to get back home. That's it. They'll, they'll do it. <laughs> I can't do I believe you're right, and I certainly hope so. What's next for Claudette? As soon as Corona is over, Claudette wants to get to South Carolina, <laughs> hug and touch my family. <laughs> that's what I want to do. Zoom is good, but you know, that's the first thing I want to do. Beautiful. I'm not one of those people who believes that you have to get something out of everything. <laughs> no, and that is quite true. You don't have to get something out of everything. That's my thing. I just do it because it's the right thing. It's there. What else am I doing? I have some time. I can put some time into this. How did it affect you to be that engaged with so many different people on so many different levels in so many different ways? I just enjoyed meeting different people who had different stories to tell. And I think you learn a lot. I've learned a lot about life on the whole, not just your little life and your little corner and your little people in your, you know. No, there's so much more to explore out there. And there's so much more going on. There's so much more. There's a lot of happiness going out there. There's a lot of sadness out there. And I just feel comfortable being out there, meeting all these different people and helping who I can help along the way. And you must have some insight that not all of us do around all of the frontline workers who now, in the context of this pandemic, are going out there every day. That must resonate with you in a particular way, I would think, because you've lived that life too. You just do it, yes. And I can understand, you know, some of those, let's say the PSWs, that's a hard job. And you can look at some of them in the faces that you see on TV. And it's stressful, but they love their patients. And that's why they keep going. Okay, the money is there, all right. But you make certain connections with people. And I think that's what keeps a lot of them going. They feel a sense of responsibility. That's we right. should be very thankful for them. And it's been one of the hard things about this pandemic. One of the things that I hope will change as well in our world is how we deal with, how we honor our elders in our society. And I wonder what you think about that and when you're watching things unfold around us. I was quite sad to hear what was going on in the nursing home. I thought, what a neglect of the people who have worked so hard. We've all benefited from their hard work. And yet at the time when they need help, they couldn't get it. I thought of the separation with relatives not being able to visit them in the nursing home, even those who were in hospitals. Oh, that, that bothered me quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I hope hmm, that kind of thing can change. I mean, it has opened all of our eyes, I think, to um, how we treat the elderly. And I think that too needs to change. Something has to be done. And we've lost a lot because even the young kids love to visit their grandparents, even mm -hmm. if it's in a nursing home. So they too have lost. Yeah. You never want 
the worst case scenario to bring about change, whether it's what's happening around police violence against Black people and long, long history of racism and abuse or elder abuse or the neglect of the elderly. You never wanted to come to that to bring about real lasting change. It always does. It's not until it gets that bad that lots of people realize how bad it is and that brings about the change. It has to change. This has been too big. This is this has been worldwide, you know, and both things are worldwide, the demonstrations and the pandemic. <laughs> a perfect storm in the, in the way of a harbinger of things to come. Uh, yeah, be hopeful. Things will change. <laughs> okay. I'm going with your version, Claudette. I'm <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's something that's harder to know when you're younger. That's true. You, you, you have to get a certain experience in life to understand all these things. Yeah. You know, and that's why the grandparents are needed. They're not thinking at 40. Who thinks about spiritual life and whatnot? No, it's true. You're just too busy doing. <laughs> exactly. Busy raising the kids and trying to do the best job you can. Hmm? Trying hard to be a good parent. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And it's not until all those responsibilities are gone that you can really sit back and Look at other things in life. What else? What is life all about? Why are we here? What are we doing here? And as you think on those things, then you can sit back and get to the stage where it's okay. I've done my bit. I'll enjoy now. I love that. I hope that you have lots of time and lots of things to enjoy, Claudette. I look forward to it. <laughs> you sure have done your bit and then some. Yes. I find my granddaughter is, I've heard this expression, the light of my life. Yes. I didn't understand what that meant. I'm talking about the older one now, straight A student. She'll be 16 in August. Wow. We talk about any and everything, and it's just a pleasure. That's so wonderful that she has that relationship with you, too. That's going to do well by her, too. I was quite concerned about her at the beginning of this whole pandemic thing because she had so many things. She had a rugby tournament to do. She had another leadership program to do at American University, and everything was canceled. And she called me. She says, oh, Grandma, my whole life is canceling before me. You know, and I had to see the pandemic now through her eyes to see what she's going through, you know, and what it means for the younger people. So I had to talk her through that, you know, and I checked on her every couple of days, two or three times per week, because she was doing the e-learning and, you know, help her through it. She's lucky to have you. It's a strange feeling. After I've spoken to her, you know, I just feel, whoo, <laughs> it's probably just a grandmotherly thing. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's a powerful drug. <laughs> yeah, it, <is. laughs> it sure is. <laughs> it has been good to speak to you, Claudette. Yes, thank you very much, Ilana. <laughs> you know, it was a pleasure speaking to you too and speaking about, you know, these things, the way I see life and that. You know, it's good. Thank you for having me too. And continue with your good work. Thanks for listening. I'm Ilana Landsberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move. If you want to find out more about me or the podcast, go to grandmothersonthemove.com and come back next week for another episode.